Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Glutes are cute, but obliques are for freaks. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 309. Trusted Sources comes to you now via Expanded GI Tract. Pete, this very weekend we've been talking the She-Hulk season slash series wrap-up as we look back on the nine-episode journey that was. Yeah, and to think, Matt, you know, we'll be doing the same thing for Lower Decks uh, fairly soon. Yeah, it's, it's been a blast doing three a week for four weeks here. Um but, you know, She-Hulk, uh, nine episodes, started before all these others here, and uh, one of them's got to go. Wow, it really did. I had to look back at the schedule, of my neck craning upward and, up and upward. She-Hulk started when it was the summer. Like, holy cow, mind yes. blown. <laughs> um, but from the, the, the fairly uh, jovial world of She-Hulk, we've also been podcasting Andor, where uh, just yesterday we were talking the just mind-numbingly amazing episode seven that uh, just continues to resonate with me uh we talk again and again on that podcast there how deftly they do star wars without doing star wars except when they bring in star wars uh how very accurately said confusing though it might sound uh pete bringing it back to the world of star trek uh it was interesting i was reading uh on the guardian website how uh there was some more digestion of this notion that uh for star trek kelvin 4 they were going to use uh the the transporter mechanism to bring back uh papa kirk and all of that and the article was very down and kind of dryly british finger waggy on the idea which uh, i think kind of captured our perspective on it I think people understand that would have been fun for the idea of, hey, it's Thor and Star Trek again, but not really critically successful and probably a middling commercial success. So that's why it hadn't happened. Well, with that, Pete, let's head into the mission briefing. Program complete. Enter when ready. The Cerritos is usually a second contact ship, but today Captain Freeman's planetary follow-up project, Project Swingby, has been approved by Admiral Buenamigo. First stop, Ornara, the TNG era, drugs are bad, but drug dealers and or big pharma is worse, planet. Oh, and a journalist is coming to monitor. Freeman wants the ship cleaned up now. The journalist, Victoria, arrives ready to see the first check-in of cold turkey recovery folks. Mariner walks by, covered in blueberry juice. It's pie-eating day. Ransom suggests Mariner keep herself scarce, and Freeman wants a change to the duty shifts to keep certain lower deckers out of the reporter's gaze. Mariner knows the job is to just make the captain look good and get sent to bed by mom. Or they could prep for the pie-eating contest, but it's been canceled by the captain. Victoria starts to interview the crew with seemingly innocuous and positive comments, and the interviews are happening in the bar with approved interviewees only. Mariner is, of course, not on the list. 
The Cerritos arrives at Ornara, and Freeman, Ransom, Victoria, and Jet Manhaver beam down to the planet, formerly ravaged by addiction. The Enterprise had left, and everything was terrible for 10 to 14 years, but now they all love fitness and need no help. They're good. Admiral Buenamigo says they need something. Maybe head to the pusher planet instead? The spotlight fading, Victoria interviews Mariner, and later Freeman is ready for her own sit-down with the journo. Victoria has found the ship isn't tight. It's chaotic, irresponsible, silly many times, with strange energies, spa days, with a meltdown, Dupler shenanigans, exocomp troubles. There's a hard cut to Mariner called to the ready room. Freeman chews out her daughter and says Mariner's indeed being transferred to Starbase 80. The entire crew is angry at Mariner and Mariner alone. Mariner refuses to say goodbye, including to our lower deckers. The shuttle from Starbase 80 is populated with two, uh, less than stellar officers. The Cerritos moves to Breca, the former pusher planet. It's oddly lit and even more oddly empty. That's because the Breen have taken over. The crew beams back up and Breen interceptors are starting a space attack. The Cerritos receives major damage with the ship dead in space. The Breen prepare to board when a brand new ship arrives, taking out the Breen left and right, saving the day. The ship is hailed, but there are no life signs aboard it. Admiral Buenamigo hails, and this is the debut of the USS Alida, a Texas-class ship that is the true purpose of the day. That's right, unmanned Starfleet vessels. Cut to Victoria's expose, departmental fracturing, follies that came out of missions, though some had only praise, like Mariner, who spoke about the family of birth and the family of choice, both of which are here on the Cerritos. But, Victoria notes, this sole voice of praise was transferred away for speaking to the journalist. Freeman calls Starbase 80, a difficult conversation since there's a space bat flying around. Finally, Freeman learns they can't talk because Mariner has resigned from Starfleet. On Petra Aberdeen's archaeological ship, Mariner's the number one, ready to mummy it up on a crew of two to end the episode. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with Admiral Buenamigo. That he, one, sets up uh, Carol Freeman and the Cerritos with a reporter so that they can uh, see all the things deemed failures. And two, then uses it as a springboard so the reporter is on board to see the new Texas class uh, starship uh, line, including the Alito that saves the day, his baby. Uh, yeah, we've now seen uh, Admiral Good Friend turned into an enemy. So can we infer that he knew there'd be trouble on the planet Breca, or is that just uh, good fortune for the, the good Admiral here? I mean, it's a tough sell within this story that he knew that the brain would be there. It begs all sorts of questions. Well, why didn't you inform Starfleet Command? Um, and, you know, you waste the earlier part of the story for the reporter by going to the planet that had been strung out on Felicium and got their act together. It's also the return, of course, as you mentioned, Pete, of the Breen, who I always found to be this 
really curious presence in Deep Space Nine. Uh, Deep Space Nine, obviously, most people think being the strongest of all the series. I always kind of felt like when you couldn't do the Klingons because it's a period of story time where we're friendly with them, and you can't do the Romulans because maybe they're good guys now, and you don't want to bring in the Dominion quite yet, uh, or the Changelings, uh, obviously being part of the Dominion, or have a Jemadar army act, uh, go get the Breen. Like, I kind of feel like they were always not bottom of the barrel, but they were never anybody's first choice. Uh, they worked really, really well here, though. And Voyager, at that point, had laid claim to the Borg, so yeah, somebody take us, uh, somebody get us a bootleg um, cosplay of Princess Leia's bounty hunter, uh, uh, Boosh, and uh, we'll make a whole uh, race of uh, people wearing that. <laughs> um, you are highly accurate there. Um, but of course, Pete, though the Brian, you know, almost destroy the, the good ship Cerritos and so forth in this episode, dramatically the the threats the biggest threats come from the inside starting with ensign barnes to have the people that are interviewed in the commander's lounge be the ones that gave the reporter all the dirt and not mariner as we're led to believe i think is a compelling story twist uh, Barnes, we've seen a little bit more of this season after the past couple, and we had seen her early on. And to, uh, you know, oh, hey, it wasn't the bridge people that screwed up. It was these engineers that had to go for a, uh, you know, a dry out, uh, calm down session. And, oh, yeah, the captain lost her mind there. Uh, we, we have Lieutenant Kayshawn, who I think maybe said the uh, uh, of Barnes and Kayshawn and the person who's last on the list, maybe Kayshawn said the least offensive stuff, although the notion that he was forced to live in a cave. Oh no, it's his unique way of speaking, but he has lived in a cave. Uh, <laughs> one of the funnier lines in this episode. He's definitely one of the lower offenders, but again, spilling this information when all you were supposed to do was say how wonderful the ship was. And wait, they make you live in a cave. <laughs> Well, and, uh, you know, part of the reason why Barnes and Kayshawn, and we'll, we'll head into Lieutenant Shacks, part of the reason those three uh, are representative of the crew threats here are because, uh, or rather is because they don't appreciate uh, what Mariner says close to the top of it. You know, our job is to make the captain look good in front of the journalist. Boom. That is the entire, uh, you know, subtle um thrust of the 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 crew mission here uh, particularly if they're being interviewed by her and uh in a certain sense Shaq's giving a, a greatest hits of some of the stuff to happen in the last couple seasons is what seals the the threatening deal and who knew too that quark was so beloved that getting him kidnapped would uh, be a negative Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, I know this show has always, um, I'll say vacillated, I don't mean that in a negative way. The show has always had two tensions. One is kind of reset to the lower deckers or the lower deckers, and the bridge officers, the bridge officers. Uh, however, we're also looking for character growth. Obviously, the episode ending with, you know, Mariner gone forever. I don't know that we buy the forever part, but... 
this episode does reveal that the Cerritos is not that tight ship that Freeman is running. Uh, do we see a long-term consequence uh, that Freeman has to pay? I don't think so. Like I said, I think the tension with Buen Amigo that's built all season, introduced, that he's reappeared, and now that he's used this initiative and hijacked it, hey, here's my new uh, crewless starship drone. It does feel rather, I don't know, like... I was thinking at the end of Star Trek Three, the human adventure continues, and for Admiral Buenamigo, the adventure continues. Um, so let's circle now to Mariner. I mean, we can step outside the narrative and say there's one episode to go. Uh, it's very reasonable that in the next half hour of story, there's some big thing that brings Mariner back and so forth. Could we get into season four where she's not back yet? Yes. She obviously has to return to Starfleet and remain, you know, true to the to the premise of the show. Um, I think you get three things potentially out of her leaving Starfleet. One, it creates tension with Jennifer and sets up a potential love triangle with Petra Two, you've moved her away. Now you can explore a Starfleet story from the other side. Um, and, and look at this, you know, archeologist archetype that we've seen, uh, primarily on the next generation. And then three, we still haven't made good on the promise of you're getting more of the Klingon crew. You're getting more of the Vulcan crew. So I think we'll see a big, you know, spanning uh, story to bring all that together. So, okay. So you're predicting the, the return of the three ships characters next week. A, a... They said season three, they said they returned season three as we were, recording those season two episodes last august and you know we were uh seeing the the three ships they're like oh oh, hey hey, you're gonna see these characters again right right now we're doing them in season three okay (laughs) i haven't seen them yet you haven't seen them yet it's time time for them to show up absolutely next week is the week to do it if you want to get into season three do you think that next week, in addition to obviously furthering the Mariner story, obviously, as you're saying, addressing the the three ships characters returning, um, do we get more of Rutherford and his secret past? Uh, it, it, it does occur to me, kind of, I was so assuming that the poster was giving us season three mm-hmm. guidance when, like, to be fair, the poster for the third season is based on the third Star Trek movie. So I don't know if that's like the place to be like Rutherford's head is 60% bigger <laughs> than the other characters. Therefore six tenths of the season. Head in space. Yeah. Um, I think that you could certainly integrate the Rutherford storyline. I think you could integrate the Billy Boimler section 31 storyline, put that all together. Something that, you know, has the different crews that brings the archaeologist. I, I think three seasons to build into that finale is certainly earned. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. That said, I would have to wonder if we get Rutherford's secret history, we get drone fleet, 
we get three ships, we get Mariner, we get Billy Boimler, Section 31. I feel like not all of that can fit into a 25-minute episode. You want to tell me next Thursday, I click on it and go, oh my goodness, it's the longest Lower Decks ever. It's 38 minutes long. Then I feel like, especially the way this show can really, really can run uh, an hour-long TNG story arc uh, through a 25-minute you know, animated story arc. that They really know how to do that, but I kind of feel like something has got to give. Let me add one more straw to the camel's back here, Pete. My favorite question for the third season, or at least the third season since news coming out of uh, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, will we get anything from next week, which is trajectory to Lower Decks appearing in live action in Strange New Worlds? Only if the inclusion of all the stuff we said before somehow breaks time. Well, I mean, look, how about let me pitch you on a story thread here. Um, it is Boimler who is the one who goes out in search of Mariner, who has been, you know, sent out a distress signal, and everybody else was like, "Oh, it's just Mariner looking for attention again, or trying to mess us up." And it's Boimler who goes out there, and that's where he finds the archaeological ship, you know, damaged right by the time rift, and he and Mariner get pulled in. Best of all, Pete, would be, you know, ah, boom, cut to credits to be continued. Okay. Then you get the first, at least to my recollection, the first Star Trek post-credit sequence in live action. Come on, guys, do it. Give us a taste. Give us a taste, especially since we're not going to get to Strange New Worlds until, you know, probably May 2023. Give us a little taste of what's to come. We did have one of the crew members on uh, Mariner's way out say, Hey, I know this is just some temporal cold war shenanigans. Um, maybe that works. Here's what I'm, here's my conclusion, Pete, after 29 episodes of star Trek lower decks uh, and the show in a fairly consistent episodic framework, uh, we have no idea what's going to happen next week. And that's a really special place to be. I think it is. I mean, that they were able to set up what they've done all season long. You know, you think of the Exocomp episode. I mean, even using all the things that came before as embarrassments for Cerrito, I think, took, you know, a, a deft hand. I'm a little disappointed, Matt. We finally get Starbase 80, but don't see past the view screen Starbase 80. Like... I think you got to do better with that. I, I hope that they will return to that, that we could see how bad it is. Particularly since, I mean, I don't know how seriously Starbase 80 was first mentioned. Like, had they thought... Oh, the first time it said somebody's threatened and somebody in the back goes, oh, damn! Yeah, but like, I don't know, was that just something in the writing room where they're like, we need an insult or we need like the worst place to go. And somebody's like, ah, I don't know, Starbase 80. Great. What does it mean? I have no idea. Like, I, or, or did they sit and say, ooh, we just developed in the writer's room. What if there was a place where all the bad officers went? And, you know, like, again, I don't know which which story purpose it was designed to serve, but it did strike me in this episode. Like, we've seen enough not great officers in Starfleet to go, it kind of does make sense if there's a rubber room starbase or just all the <laughs> bad officers go and everybody just kind of knows like it's a threat. However, if you get sent there, like guess what? You really are Starbase 80 material. And look, Pete, we all know Starbase 80 is like way out there, but not so out there that they're like the only ones to 
keep watch over the this planet or the that algae or whatever. It just really is where all the where all the screw ups go. I mean, whether it's hey, let's return and see if somebody fell for Landrew again, or you know, even Buen Amigo saying, "Oh, you could always uh, check if the Onorans are secretly uh, having a government run by children, or somebody who's the devil." You know, it it aligns to all the threats we've seen throughout star trek to have a completely incompetent crew roster you know whatever you're gonna say complement to a star base but then to finally see a couple of them in this episode one of them's illiterate uh another one's apathetic <laughs> they're chasing a pyrethian bat around with a broom and can't kill it um <laughs> they've lost a sandwich with that let's go to hailing frequencies to Twitter we go where the poll was this. How would you uh, rate the voyage? Uh, all wet got 5.3%. One rocket fun got 15.8%. Two rockets daring got 15.8% as well. And then three rockets explosive, 63.2%. Uh, we have from Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. Pete, this is an acrostic poem. Uh, written by Spider-Ham Lincoln. Um, the, the first five lines spell out Breen, so here we go. Beckett, reassigned, erroneously, earns negativity. Uh, <laughs> next spells out Petra. Precipitates exit, tries romanticized archaeology. Uh, next is Texas. Totally excellent, extreme, automated starships. <laughs> uh, next is Lower. Lively Orinarans were exciting. Ransom. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well done. Uh, and then Dex, devoted ensigns, Cerritos, kicks, uh, kick shacks. Um, Pete, I could say in all the things we have uh, covered in a variety of podcasts over the years, it's the first time uh, we've ever had uh, Breen, Petra, Texas, Lower Dex spelled out in an acrostic poem to share thoughts in an episode. So thank you, Spider-Ham Lincoln. Uh, it's awesome. This after we were positing uh you know because they used kevin k-e-v-i-n as an acronym and then we shifted it uh we're asking listeners for fred from our she-hulk rap the other day and we got responses there yeah that uh we would do this so it's awesome uh last tweet here pete from tweeter at law that's k-c-l-y-l-e-1 on twitter how is this season almost over already so many dangling plots a wall mariner trans boimler with section 31 the rutherford mystery and peanut hamper is still out there they can't wrap it up all in one episode or can they nah but i look forward to whatever they do which i think pete to quote another uh quasi star trek show so say we all that you would want some dangling storylines at this point in their run. Uh, you know, w will we get the return of Animus or Agamus and um, uh, Peanut Hamper next week too? Do they break out? Is that a is that a post credit scene? You know that they've they've gotten out. Um, I could see that happening too. It it is a boon for their storytelling yeah and certainly the season four renewal was so far out there that um you know i think it gives enough time to say you know 
if you're in the middle of making the third season or just starting production on the third season, you're told you have a fourth season coming for sure. You know, I mean, a there's enough kind of story inertia to be like, hey, I think the audience will be with us if we only have one Billy Boimler this season and that sets up Billy Boimler for next season and so forth. Uh, ditto. I don't think Pete, there's any, there will be any broken hearts if we say, oh man, but they didn't do peanut hamper and section 31 they didn't resolve that this season like i think we can trust the show certainly is the point um indeed pete in a certain sense much how we have earned the trust of those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to choose from so get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek just takes a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute now. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Show this podcast or any of our 29 other podcasts some love uh, with a rating or a review. Our thanks, as always, to those who support us, however they do. And Pete, with yet another Star Trek season wrapping up in just a handful of days, how can people talk Star Trek with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,779 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do me touch of the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word, like it today. With... She-Hulk now in the rearview mirror. Pete on the Pop Culture Podcast. Looking forward to talking more Andor next Saturday and Lower Decks on Sunday. Also, maybe some uh, more Galaxy Far, Far Away in the near future as well. Maybe more on that as it happens. But for now, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Please, my body needs crust. Never fails to take my breath away. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?